Welcome to Pancake's House, a conversational podcast about creativity, about the things that make people do the things they do, what drives their work. It's been a while, guys. Sorry about that. It's been a long while. Uh, took a break. Took a break to kind of redefine what this podcast is, and then got inundated with all the work that goes into making all the other stuff that Pancake's House makes. And it's just this thing, this podcast, has been sitting there, just an app. You know you know how on your phone you have those apps that in the background they're still just taking energy, they're still just running the battery down? That's what this podcast has been for me in the last probably three or four months. It's just been running in the back of my mind. Got to get this thing going. Got to get this thing going. You got so many great conversations already in the can. Come on, Skip. Get it going. So we're going to start with this one. I had a great opportunity to hang out with content creators, directors, producers, writers, actors at the International Black Film Festival in Nashville last year. And... In October, I got to sit with all of these wonderful people that are making stuff and have really great, beautiful, wonderful, short conversations with them about their craft. And this is the first one. We're going to be producing these once a week for the next few weeks until we run out of them. Then I've had some really great conversations with other people. Since then, we're going to get back on track. You're going to have conversations each week from the Pancakes House podcast. This one is a movie, a documentary, an emotional journey called Intentional Healing. It's a restorative documentary that follows the famed Nashville music producer Jesse Boyce as he contemplates his own mortality after a diagnosis of terminal prostate cancer. Oh, man. He returns to the studio as an artist, producer, and mentor to compose one last song with black violin, and the film demonstrates the healing power of music, and candidly depicts 21st century cancer care in Music City. I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Dr. Mark Stavis, who's the executive producer and visionary of this process, and John Stavis, his brother, who's the film's director. After that conversation, we're going to pop over and listen to another interview with one of the other producers of the film, Rod Putnam. And so I walked up to Rod. Here's the thing. I walked up to Rod on the first day and I said, I want to talk to you about your movie. And he said, well, you really need to talk to the executive producer and the director and they're here. So I watched the film and I sat down with Mark and John and we talked about the film. But, but Rod's story just kept running around in my head. And so I wanted to get him as well. So you're going to hear two different conversations over the course of three different days about this film, Intentional Healing. I'll put the show notes in. Uh, I'll put in the show notes the, uh, the ways to find out about Intentional Healing. Um, this movie, this story, it wrecked me. It was so beautiful and honest and this really wonderful mixture between faith and science and eternity and the uh, the terminality of all things. What's that mean? I don't even know. I'm trying to use big words here. The point is, it's a beautiful story. So 
without further ado, let's get into the first conversation with Dr. Mark Stavis and John Stavis about intentional healing. So if you guys can give me a test real quick, I want to make sure I've got you both running. Hello, my name is Mark Stavis. I am an assistant professor of radiation oncology at the Vandermingham Cancer Center. I play a number of roles, one of which is treating pediatric malignancies, including diffuse intrinsic pontine gliomas, anaplastic ependymomas, high-grade gliomas, Wint and sonic hedgehog mutated medulloblastomas. Yeah, yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. Hedgehog <laughs> <Nice>. medulloblastomas. <laughs> and to give an explanation of my uh, inabilities to understand, I didn't know for a while when you went off the rails there. It was like, I was like, I still could be legit. I don't know. Yeah, he didn't go off the rails. Ever, okay. Ever. And he, then, yeah, he, hematomic hedgehog blastomas. That's and, the next project. So, so that was Mark, and now who am I talking to? My name is John Joseph Stavis, and uh, I'm just doing all right. You all know, right. just hanging in here, yeah. doing it up. <sighs> yeah, exactly. 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 It's been a long week. It's the, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally get it. So, so we just watched this film, y'all. So I, just for a point of, um, just to be as transparent as possible, so my, I have a family member who was in surgery this morning wow. for prostate cancer. So you might understand a little bit more of why I was kind of a wreck pretty sitting rough in the back you. watching this. But um, I think it's to the point of what your whole purpose was in the film itself is that it hits everyone and that these sorts of experiences can really speak to the experience that you're having in your own world with that. Yeah. Where in the world, for, well, first of all, for the people that are listening that have not heard, give me a synopsis of what we're talking about with Intentional Healing, this, this documentary. So John and I created a film that shows the intersection of art and medicine in the face of a serious illness. Mm -hmm what it's like to walk that walk and where someone can turn to for strength in moments of need. Okay. Um, we also tried to show the hard to articulate ideals in life, things that we strive for, things that we all know give us a collective wisdom, yet, they're, yet they often transcend words, those moments. So the film is part legacy Mm -hmm. of the story of Jesse Boyce, who is a famed music producer in town. It's part art in that they are creating a beautiful song through the piece. And I think it's part educational as well, kind of like you resonated. Not in a way that maybe tells you what a radical prostatectomy or radiotherapy is but it's educational um emotively yeah if that makes sense it's yeah. it's educational in a way that helps you understand what it feels like to have a tr to go through a transformative experience right yeah yeah absolutely it it kind of um it gives you a it gives you a community that you can belong to yeah. as you're going through it yeah that sort of a thing yeah um, we, the title itself, we played with this sort of wording, healing, intentional healing. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm really sensitive now. Uh, my specialty at Vanderbilt is pediatric malignancies and then palliative end-of-life care with radiation. Oh, wow. So I'm very sensitive about language we use. Like, what are you hoping for? Define mm. that for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what does it mean to be healed, right? Right. Is that dependent on an outcome? Yeah. Or is it an emotional awakening or a spiritual awakening or a relational awakening? And then this whole like military language we use, fight, conquer, destroy cancer. People ask me, well, what's my fight? I'm just laying on this table or I'm just getting chemo pumped in my arm or I'm actually under general anesthesia while someone else is doing something to my body. So what's my fight? I mean, they, they legitimately ask you that question. Yeah, they legitimately say, well, what's my fight? Um, and so John and I were thinking, well, let's call this intentional healing, which is the individual's active, intentional um, pursuit to become whole again. Wow. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely and makes it's, sense. And it's not a passive process. No. It, it's Jesse's digging into this song coming back to completing what he once started, finding new ways of defining healing in his own life. And then sort of what you see is this reorientation of the soul, I like to call it, mm -hmm. which is what I think hope is. It's a reorientation to say life's going to be okay no matter what happens. Right. And I think that's what we tried to portray in the film. I even, I remember blatantly asking him that question, um, what does death mean to you? And he said to us, um, well, he's talking about his funeral before it actually happens. And he says right. to the audience, I felt a sense of um, acceptance. This is when he was describing the casket and yeah. being in the blue shirt, and he's standing in that room with the red folders. And so I know, yeah. and it's overwhelming imagery. So we've kind of, John was playing with this idea if you want to talk about the red folders. Well, sorry, my, my cinematographer's calling me right now. Did you look at that? Oh, that's my sister, actually. Um, oh, there he is. Um, sorry, what's the question again? Sorry, the, I got distracted. The red, fold. the red folders. Well, we were playing into this idea of like placing someone in kind of a, an environment that is almost like overly existential and see how they emotionally react to it. And I think that um, for your for the viewers, this is this is a space where we had this wide angle shot of the lead character Jesse Boyce in this room filled with blood red folders, like mm -hmm. very saturated red folders. And, and these it, folders and, are and, and, and these folders, representative of yeah yeah. And so essentially, what I've gotten what I've gotten to learn is that um, this color red, which is actually something that is plant, that I told Jesse always wear this like red thing, and and he's wearing it. This, it's like always on him. Actually, if you look at the, if you if you rewatch the film and I, and I made it match the colors in the in the um, when I color corrected it, yeah. I made it match the colors of the um, folders, and they were kind of representations of people that are have have stories similar, maybe not similar to Jesse's, but went through some form of cancer care. You know, Jesse has a red folder, and it's probably, if I'm correct, in that room. Those are the retired folders of the deceased patients. Yeah, yeah. and so and so essentially. We brought Jesse in there, and we were like, "What does death mean to you in, a, in an environment where, um, where it's kind of overwhelmingly filled with death, and yet he was still as a huge character, uh, very 
like a beautiful showing of character says I was able to, you know, accept it, accept it and like, and reflect on it. And he says that prayer mm -hmm. at the opening of the film, which is mm -hmm. a very huge thing, which is sometimes, you know, people, you kind of forget about it because it's, the, the, there's so many moving elements of the you film. You gotta remember that because whatever they choose to put at the very beginning is very important. Yeah, and so and so and so and so I was like, so let's put this prayer in there. You know, yeah. it's just like then then that just just basically that outlines the entire film. Absolutely, and, and it outlines his own spirituality and his own his own idea. You know, and um, like they are in serenity is what he says and uh and he's talking about all those people and that's what i believe jesse's in now he's in serenity in this new world and um this new realm and uh which is which is death you know i don't know anything what happens after death but um i just think the, the it was a weird it was a weird experience to do but it was just kind of it was just like a it was just like a it was a hard thing to do, but we we did it in terms of visuals and how visually that looked. But then in terms of like how you put someone going through cancer, what um, what like emotions do they emote in that space? And I think he, I think I mean he he talked for out. I mean he talked yeah, for yeah, forty five yeah. minutes you a straight. Lot. He talked for forty five minutes straight. You know, to my brother Mark, and we were sitting there with these cameras, this and all, all these like these uh, these sound things and stuff. Yeah. But um, what we chose is to just say the simplest part is like this is what it's a dream you know a dream of of this is what i want then to be like and uh, i wasn't able to be at the funeral but you know that's exactly what it was like my brother was there yeah exactly what it was like he basically spoke the f he told the future you yeah know? it's crazy well and and to compliment you and I, i'm not i'm not just trying to be overly complimentary i mean i really genuinely took this film in frame by frame as I watched it tonight. I hadn't seen it before, but one of the things, you know, you know, as a filmmaker myself, you know when you're watching a film, you know when you can trust an, a filmmaker, and you know when you can't. And there, there are moments in certain films where you go, all right, I don't know that I can trust this artist anymore. Mm -hmm. As a documentary, um, I would have had a hard time with you guys yeah. had I not been given the moment where you genuinely on camera ask him, are you okay going into this room? Hmm. You know what I mean? There would have been that this was, moment. I mean, that, was, that was what it was like the entire time. It was like, because you have to, when you work with these people, you have an, you overtly try to push them to their limits. Especially, right. I mean, and, and, and is that pushing someone to, is, is putting someone on a uh, bed and then throwing them into um, like a machine and then turning it on right next to them. Right. Being like this like but, staged environment. But, you know, he was he was so down. And all these people are because this is the second second time. I mean, we've done another film after this and just these people are down. But, what to, I'm but saying, to speak to that. Yeah, but yeah. what I'm saying is that, that there, there's this brilliant crossover throughout this whole mm -hmm. movie of all these different moving parts that are just dancing together and the bedside manner makes his way in as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I and think... so applause, that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I remember that. I mean, I had worked, that was after an 80 hour work week. Oh. I looked destroyed in that and that was at like midnight we shot that. God's honest truth, I didn't recognize you. Yeah, um, that was a tough time, I mm -hmm. had but to speak to all of that, so as, as a physician, um, I'm very sensitive mm -hmm. to how we shoot these and the integrity of it yeah. and not sensationalizing someone's disease. Um, 
and realizing that you can't push someone further than you've gone yourself, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So we really are sensitive about that. John and I, I think we worked for over a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Me mentoring him into the world of medicine, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, and, sure. and the sensibilities of what we're talking about. And it's very real. I mean, um, I'm glad we shot this the way we did, and this is the first time we've watched it since Jesse's died. Mm. And it has a deeper sense of purpose, but it also, the integrity holds, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was that coming on that. It was very. It was very hard because Mark is a full-time doctor at the uh, Inger Cancer Center. So it was. It's pretty wild. Um, you did a great job at coaching me. I would just like to say that because you know it was. It, it's it's super difficult because Mark couldn't be there for some of these shoots. He was there for. I threw him in in a moment. I mean, there's so many little uh, Easter eggs for me that are in that film. Mm -hmm. But um, Mark was. Mark showed up for like five minutes at that shoot where uh, we were shooting with the musicians, and and but he was there during the really pinnacle moments where like we were on, we were in the room, we were in the environment, you know, and that was a great part. Mark took a lot of direction in those moments, which was great because you need because you needed um, I needed help, yeah. you know. I can't I can't go into a hospital and try to ask these very uh, these well crafted questions that that uh, really speak to the truth of diagnosis and and what it means to have cancer. And so we would mark we would bring Mark in and it was a very like it was it was it was hard because it was hard because we like we couldn't turn him into a character even though he was in all these environments. Sure. But um but but that's why we that's why it was really important to have him there at the end though. We were just just saying just like introducing him like moment for like a moment. Mm-hmm. You know well it, it, but, speak Speak to this, though. So, so you, you're tag-teaming, and you're mm -hmm. coming at it from perspectives. So you're mm -hmm. coming at it from filmmaker perspective, mm -hmm. film primarily. Film director, film, yeah, film and director. Then, like and you're coming at it from physician, primarily, first and foremost. But you spoke to something that's very real and very present for a mm -hmm. lot of people on this planet when you were standing down front after the film, and you talked about the unease of a person being in a hospital, mm -hmm. right? So talk to me a little bit about that experience of trying to command a situation and, and see an overall vision that you're sharing in the midst of the anxiety that's real and present in a hospital for somebody like you. Yeah, so... Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, it makes complete sense. I just, um, in terms of... You know the vision. The vision builds as we as we get footage in the can. You know, right. I mean, I mean, what we what there were moments that we had and we shot. There were moments where Mark and I did a walkthrough of the hospital, and he was like, "These are the areas that I work," and and I and we basically said, "We're shooting here. We're not shooting here. We're shooting here. Sounds bad. So let's descend. We're not shooting there. We're shooting here." And so we were able to have a vision of like what was the aesthetic was going to look like, which then I then related to cinematographer and the sound guy and what to look for. Mm -hmm. And then we communicated to Jesse. And then, cause, um, I was kind of like a, a lot, a lot of times, cause like we had to, uh, talk to Jesse ahead of time and, and like get him all hyped up and get him ready to go to these environments. And Mark couldn't do it because Mark was working. Mark is, right. like I said, he's a professional doctor, so I would have to do it. And it was a very intense learning process. <laughs> yeah, it was a very intense learning process 
Amateur doctor. Semi-pro. Semi-pro. <laughs> Semi-pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Bend over. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, so in terms of... Turn uh, your head. I don't know the next part. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to do next, but go ahead and turn your head. That's important. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of, you know, bringing it all together into a piece, the editing was very hard. That was insane. Oh, I imagine. Oh, I, man. I, like, how I, do you... How listen, do you think about like taking transitioning from a studio session where everyone's vibes are so good you have these huge football player well, looking guys with just, tiny violins and just, just transition in into the like, studio for crying yeah. out loud i mean you didn't have 37 cameras in that studio oh, that was the hardest thing but, oh <laughs> my gosh the cutting of because, that was so hard yeah that was the hardest i was that was um, I was in the back like this. I was like, I don't know how you did so, that. So small, shoot. small, small thing. Uh, so that was the first time they all went in there, and basically, there was a problem with one of the cameras. And so one of the cameras, we lost all the footage. So there was me, and then like a few shoots, and we shot that because everyone was not in the mood anymore. You know, Black Violin. We oh, were they like, were oh, done. Man. They were done. You know, they were done. <laughs> everyone was done. It was. We the black violet because uh, Southwest just got hacked or something like that, and their flight got canceled, and that was when that happened. Remember, yeah. and so we were about to cancel the entire shoot because uh, their airplane they couldn't get on it for another three days, and somehow you know Jesse just being the most badass motherfucker I've ever met was just like, no, we're getting these dudes here, and yeah. I'm gonna call these people, and then he called someone, and they just made it happen, and all suddenly black violin showed up at a noon. Yeah, and we had in they ate in they every and then them them and their whole squad just ate barbecue while we sat up and then basically went straight into it and it was like eight thirty and then they were like man we are done because this is our day off because yeah. they they just had a huge European tour and uh, speaking just in terms of editing that so that moment where they shot that that was not at all so what we played on the playback what they recorded that day was just was not at all what that song actually sounded like because then Jesse and Phil and that guy John John Glass yeah. I think John yeah, Glass yeah, yeah, yeah. who was the who was the studio engineer all came together took all the parts and made a completely beautiful song from all the recorded things so then you it's, had to take that track though <laughs> and, and go back to, in and are you a musician at all yes I am actually. okay yeah, well Mark that's is a musician as well so we're all like we're musical so that's family a plus. so 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 we were sitting so I was sitting there and I do music videos in Los Angeles sometimes okay. and um so that was just three days of just staring at footage oh, and being like, yeah. oh, man, that violin note, which I have no idea what it is, kind of maybe sounds like this moment. Yeah. And, like, he moves his fingers three times and this, these three notes hit. Yeah. And then uh, so I just chucked that right there. And yeah. there, were some, there were some moments that I'm not satisfied with. But, you know, in terms of, like, it's, it I, works. I was just, yeah, I, don't, I, 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 like, yeah. asked, I asked my girlfriend who's a professional musician. I was like, does this seem like this happened at right. this moment? And she was like, yeah, that looks great. Sure, oh my gosh, not? dude, that looks all amazing. So, yeah. I would like yeah. to say that was the hardest thing I've ever had to edit in my entire life. Oh yeah, yeah, that that part right there. Oh yeah, that that yeah, that was clear to me. I'm watching it going. <laughs> I'm two, glad two, I wasn't sitting in that chair. Two GH fours, like. just cooking as hard as they <laughs> yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I have to tell you. Um, typically, I'm going to shut this down quick because I want to honor your time and your sleep schedules Thank and you. all of that. Um, typically a Pancakes House podcast goes about an hour, hour and a half in conversation. We're going to shut this down at 20 minutes because we're doing little vignettes. But okay. I cannot tell you enough how much I appreciate your film. And I certainly want to get some information for me to put into the show notes mm -hmm. so that people can know anything about it. And um, is there anything else that either one of you would like to say concerning the work? Because I just, wow. I think... Um 
I just feel grateful for the ability to, I think, work with my brother, mm-hmm. meet individuals like Jesse, same, same. And, and build a build a community like this. So, it's really um, doing this type of work gives me the strength to continue to do. I think to continue to care for people at the bedside that I do, if that makes sense. It's sort of, it keeps me alive to living mm. when you're exposed to a lot of hardship and be able to have an outlet to express yourself, to actually share what this looks like with others in a honest way, I think is really, it's a gift and I hope we can continue to do it. Right on. Yeah. Same, same here. Um, Mark is kind of like the, we're like an ax for these films you know we're just chopping stuff up <laughs> making stuff look good but i'm like the handle and mark is like the blade you know okay. he's the uh, like you'll you, you hear from how well he could speak about this stuff i'm kind of more scatterbrained and 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 have trouble communicating how i feel about all You're these things artsy. i'm artsy You're i'm artsy, artsy but but that's kind of how i think that's kind of how i think and that's kind of how these films come together we have an, like another one called a modicum of joy is where i i work with i work with these people and then mark goes yes boom cut that Yes, boom, cut that. And That's he's great. the sharpness, and I'm the, I'm the handle that allows that sharpness to be properly to that's like really directed. Great. Yeah, so. That's really great. And that's, and that's what I was thinking. That's what I, was, I always think about us as like a filmmaking crew. And then my brother Andy, who does the amazing soundtracks. <laughs> well, the sound design on this thing by itself is just gorgeous. Yeah, it really was a delight. There yeah. was some amateur stuff. There was some professional stuff. It was a whole squad of... <sighs> A squad of, you know, sound guys, you even, man. You, the sound well, guys is just the hardest job. And I'm sorry, but, well, yeah. I yeah. have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I think it's red, so it's recording. Um, oh, yeah, you got 21 minutes the, right there. Uh, the, uh, even, even the even making Nashville a character yeah. and, and showing the building and the process mm-hmm. and all of that. There was a lot of that beautiful stuff that went into it that I really appreciate. We really turned to uh, Sam, yeah. <laughs> Samsara. Do you know that film? For Ron Fricky, I think. I think Ron Frick. This is Queen of Scotsy, Samsara Baraka, oh, yeah, yeah, a few yeah, yeah, films yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There was just like this concept of, you know, let's cinematography wise, that's what we were trying to push Cody in the direction with these, uh, yeah. these very big uh, 35, super 35 sensors with these mm-hmm. massive cinema, cam- cinema yeah. lenses that we rented, you know. Yeah. Oh, and, it's um, a film festival. I forgot to ask you the most important question. <laughs> yeah. What'd you shoot on? Uh, you know, that's the, that's the film festival question. Is right? that the film question? Oh, yeah. Do you not get that? No. Oh my know? gosh! I always hear that question. Uh, so Sony, what did you shoot on? Sony A7S Mark IIs with Rokinon the uh, Cine package, whatever. Okay. And then uh, some of the footage is GH4, and I am a very big Panasonic fan. Yeah, buddy. That GH4 and the GH5, which I hope to shoot on on another film, is the best workhorse ever. But Sony, if you ever want to sponsor us, you could totally do that too. Nice. But uh, yeah, we were watching uh, my, my, the, my partner, Steven and I were talking about the, the show Ozark on Netflix. Oh yeah. And we were talking about it and he goes, I think they shot that on the Panasonic, the new Which Panasonic uh, five, five. And I go, be, I don't think I, the thing is or, the Panasonic five didn't come out yet when that show came out, when the show was released, unless they got some thing. I thought that show is or maybe phenomenal. It's four. Who knows? That show is beautiful looking. But, but uh, the, the blues. The fact is... that he could see it and then go, yeah, I think that's what it was. And then yeah. we just went up to IMDb and I'm like, you son of a... What? Well, because they, they, they have huge... We could do this all night. We could do this all night. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting if they shot it on a DSLR, but... Because it looked, it definitely looked more of like a cinema camera, but who knows? I didn't look it up, so... Yeah. But it, I love how that movie, uh, that TV show looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. That was amazing. I I cannot tell you how beautiful that experience was. And if that's not enough, then here's another great conversation. And this is with Rod Putnam, associate producer on the film Intentional Healing. Hi, I'm uh, Roderick Putnam. I'm an associate producer on the Intentional Healing film. Okay, great. I and I and I got to see that the other night, and uh, I, um, you know, I had an opportunity to talk with uh, the two brothers that were involved in making the film. We really got into the conversation more from the technical standpoint and from the healthcare side of things. Uh, but the subject of this film was, in and of itself just a fascinating story and a, and a brilliant uh, window inside the soul of a human being who's looking at the end but seeing the beginning almost, if you, if, if you will. Could you talk about this gentleman and, uh, and, and what he means and meant uh, for this project? Uh, I mean, the, the subject of the film, Jesse Boyce, uh, he had been a giant in the music industry uh, known in a lot of circles, uh, and at the time he he received a diagnosis, he was he was working on a on a new album, and he and I had a, a lengthy conversation. And what he said was he realized even though the prognosis wasn't good, he needed a reason to feel like he still could dance, and he needed a reason to dance again. Mm. And and that's where the name of the song comes from. Dance and, again, da- exactly. And so. He focused his energies, even though he was going through treatments, and in some cases some very painful treatment, uh, he focused all of his energies towards uh, finishing the, the song uh, and, and kind of making it almost as, uh, a tribute to him, even though he, I'm sure he didn't see it that way. When you listen to the song, it is really uh, about him. Uh, and, he, and he used that as his vehicle. He, the term he liked to use is there may not be a cure, but there is healing. And he felt the song healed him. And through working on the song, uh, Jesse was able to deal with a great deal of pain because most days his pain was probably on a seven or eight, uh, but he refused to take pain medication because he was afraid he would lose his focus. Wow. And so he focused through the pain by focusing on the song and the whole project in general. So this music was cathartic for him as he's working through his own pain, uh, but also living it out loud. Very much so. Music. Very much so. Yes. Uh, you know, there's there's this. I mean, a couple of things that you just mentioned um, that I. Uh, you've got someone saying hello. Uh, a couple of things that you just mentioned, and I, I noticed in the film, one of which is he's standing outside of the Ryman, and he's talking about that very thing of the cure versus the healing, um, and that was so beautiful and profound, and it really, it really resonated with my soul to watch him talking about this with the knowledge of what's going on internally in him. But then there's a moment at the end, and and this is not a spoiler of any sorts, but there's a statement that he makes at the end of, I don't have, or cancer doesn't have me, I have cancer. Um, Now, I may be misremembering that. Was that something that his wife said afterward, or was that in the- No, that that was actually a statement he had, and he he very much felt like that. He felt like he he had cancer and not the other way around, and and by that he meant he wasn't gonna let it control his life or or dictate how he should live his life. I mean, none of us knows how long we have, uh, but he knew he probably had less than most people, but he chose not to focus on that and instead focus on on giving back something, and, and that was the song. 
What was your relationship with Jesse Boyce? Uh, because of the industry I'm in, mean, Jesse and I had actually interacted multiple times over the over the last 20 years or so uh, on different projects. He would either be producing music and I would be producing a video or whatever, and, and we would just kind of cross paths routinely. Uh, and then we kind of came together for a, a project around Muscle Shoals, the Muscle sure. Shoals music scene. Yeah. And, and during that point, we kind of bonded uh, probably our most at that point. Um, and then we kind of drifted apart again because we both had uh, things in the works. And, and so we came back together with this film and they, they brought me on as producer uh, because they had shot the film and Jesse asked me to come on and kind of kind of uh, give my insight on some direction and, and uh, kind of help with, with polishing. I mean, the, the cinematographer and director had already done a phenomenal job shooting the film. It, sure. was, it was beautiful, uh, but they just kind of wanted a, uh, an outside party to give them some input on on the direction of the film. Yeah, and so you were able to take your relationship with Jesse and your years of experience with him. I mean, I understand inside of any sort of industry, especially a creative industry like what we're in, there, there are those, you see them for a week and then you don't see them for a year and then you see them for a week and you don't see them for 10 years, you know, that, that kind of a thing. And yet there's this familiarity inside of us that just brings us back to where we were. It's like a family reunion, you know. Right. Um, so you kind of come in to make sure that there's a heartbeat there for his story in the midst of what they're doing. Because there's this really profound thing that's happening there. You have multiple, and this is not a, I, I'm not saying this to, from the standpoint of a, 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 a word with baggage. There are several agendas that are in this film, you know, things that we're talking about. And to marry this, this, especially in today's age of art or of science and faith, to marry the science and faith together inside of a film and be talking about both, it's quite a profound endeavor by itself. And so you're kind of the man that's coming in and saying, okay, now let me help you with Jesse's side of this scenario. Is that fair to say? That's a, that's a pretty fair assessment. I mean, okay. but Jesse deep down believed that, it, that the two weren't separate. Oh. He, belie he believed yeah. that they worked hand in hand. He believed that the science worked with his faith and that they were not opposing forces. And, and I came in because Jesse and I had, had conversations separate from what he and the producers and directors had had. And so, okay. and so I brought what he and I had talked about into to the film to kind of help give it the direction that, that you saw in the final project. So I made a film a couple of years ago. I'm not going to go into the details about it because the people that listen to this podcast have heard the story 350 times. Um, but it was about a close friend who the story was about his passing. So for you, I want to ask this, the question that's asked of me sometimes. What's it like sitting in a room sharing your friend's story with a group of people knowing the outcome and knowing the the person so personally it, it it's it's kind of a double-edged sword i mean on one hand you're you're happy to be able to share that with those people and that's what that's what jesse wanted he wanted people to see the story and so you feel great about that but at the same time you also are sad because you realize you're watching your friend on the screen and you realize he's he's not going to come talk to you later. He's not going to call you at Christmas. He's, He's not, not going to call know. and say, hey, Rod, that was good. That yeah, was good. Those you're, folks you're, liked it. 
yeah, yeah. you're not going to get that. And so, so it's, it's kind of a bittersweet moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, it has the effect that he wanted. He was able to share his story and, and his, his journey, but two, he's, he's gone. So you, once yeah, again. absolutely. And, and the, the song, if we can talk about that for a minute, that music, because that music plays such an integral part in the film itself. And, you know, we're teased with it throughout, and then we're given the event of it toward the end of the film. Um, talk about that a little bit if you, if you can, and then I'm going to certainly put information on how people can find that music in the show notes of the show, of this episode. But can you talk a little bit more about that? I, I, can, I can only talk a little bit about it because... Okay. Uh, Jesse had actually started writing and working on the song when he got the diagnosis. Uh, and I think they touched a little bit on it in the film. Sure. But, but he gets the diagnosis in the middle of working on the song. And I think that kind of refocuses his, his energy because, as he said, he realized he needed a reason to, to keep dancing. And yeah. that song became that. And so I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but the song really starts to mirror him and his journey. And, and I don't think it would have taken that direction had he not gotten ill in the middle of it because it... it as I understand it, it was a it was a totally different direction before that. And and in the film, you hear him giving instructions to the musicians about they're playing it, and it's kind of like there's a struggle. That part wasn't there before. That was okay. that was him okay. indirectly kind of letting these guys know because I don't, I don't think I don't think it was mentioned in the film. But none of the musicians realized Jesse had received the diagnosis he had, and so they're playing the song as if they're just playing the song. But he is he is actually telling them. In, a, in an offhand way that this is really about me and and I don't know how much longer I have, but he never says that. And, and they never pick up on it. And it's only later do the musicians say, yeah. if they had been told this, they wouldn't have been able to finish the song. What brilliant uh, wisdom and experience of a man to, to know how to get what he wants from his collaborators without getting in their head about the collaboration. I mean, it's just, it's such a testament. That, that information right there, when I found that out after the film screening, it, it, I, was, I was undone because it's, it's just so amazing. This man is, is literally, his insides are destroying him. And he is so determined for the art to speak as the art needs to speak that he doesn't share. I mean, I'm tearing up now Right. to, to, to realize and to understand the scope of the project and to say, I'm not going to share the most important aspect of this because that's going to get into, that's going to get in the way of the most important aspect of this. Right. And, and, and that's kind of the genius of Jesse. I, I, I can't say that I've been there with him every time he produced anything because I haven't, but I always got the impression that he was, he produced everything like that. He, he didn't, give you anything that was going to steer you from his vision of the direction he needed you to go. He just kind of gave you the input and let you do your thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what he did in that film. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it just really, I, I, I cannot say enough about this film and it's, it's, you know, certainly for a, for a, for a Midwestern kid like me, who's lived in his own bubble. Um, I was introduced to a great artist posthumously, right? But it's now given me a new library to start building because this, it, it's just, I, I feel as though the filmmakers, the producers, the musicians, everyone really did a great service to a legacy 
by telling this story, and I can't, I can't stop telling people about both the film and the man. Well, thank you. Um, and thank I, you. I am, I am forever grateful to have the opportunity to experience this, and and I am very thankful for the family, for the boys' family, and for this team to share such a beautiful story. And I, I just have to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, it was great. Now I do want to, I want to flip the switch just a little bit. So you're a local filmmaker, correct? Right here in Nashville, Tennessee, correct? And I am too. So I got to ask you, what are you, what are you working on now? What's going on? Oh well, we actually had three films in this festival this year. Okay. And one of them, uh, with purpose, the story of inner city youth uh, who learned to dive and and are doing a search for one of the last known slave ships. What? Uh, that one has has gone a lot further than we thought and and we're being asked to try to get that into Sundance this year so wait we got to back up a second you you're taking students teaching them to scuba dive I mean I know not you personally maybe but but there's a team that teaches students how to dive and then they're going on an explore an exploration of a last known slave ship correct I mean there's so much inside those two sentences. I mean, you're dealing with, I've, I've, I, uh, I, I had the opportunity to do a, uh, a mini documentary this summer about a, uh, a summer school program. And one of the intensives, or one of the, one of the things that they were most focused with inside this school program was taking these students who, by and large, have grown up afraid of water and have grown up not being in or around water other than a tub and swimming is a huge component of the school curriculum so that they can give these students the opportunity to not be afraid of water and to master swimming and things like that. And so I hear that from you and it's like, yeah, we're going to take that a step further. We're literally going to go deeper with that and teaching. You, please talk to me about this, this experience. It's, it's, part of, um, it's part of a project here in Nashville. It's called the TAP program, uh, Tennessee Aquatic uh, project. It's run by Ken Stewart. He's also a local guy. Okay. He's a transplant from New York, but you know he's he's. But we'll national. take him at this. Point. Yeah, we'll take him at this point. But <laughs> but but his whole thing was to work with with kids with water. And initially, he was teaching them to swim, and then teaching them to be lifeguards, and then eventually they would move into to scuba diving. And then he got acquainted with the Slave Rex project, and thought it'd be great to take these kids down, and literally teach them how to be underwater archaeologists. And then, how old are these students? We're talking about kids between 16 and 23. Oh my goodness! 16 and 23 year old students. So they've they've been. He the whole project has been going on for more than 10 years, but the kids have been part of for the last five or six years uh, that they've been doing it. And we just we just did this past summer. We spent a couple of weeks off the coast of Florida searching for the wreck. I mean. I haven't even seen the film, and I mean, I mean, just like <laughs> hairs are standing up. The, 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 the uh, Rod, you're changing the world, man. I hope so. I That's mean, my goal. I mean, come on, that is. I am, I am truly speechless, which is the worst thing to be on a podcast. <laughs> um, and I, what's the film's name? The name of the film is With Purpose. With Purpose. Yep. Uh, once again, we're we're going to look at we're going to look at Sundance, and then after that, we're gonna we're looking at doing uh, potentially a longer version of it because there's also an adult 
component to it that are they're also working uh, for this on the same project and they're looking at doing the kids with the adults and seeing what we can do with that that's just beautiful and then you mentioned is there a third project or uh, the third film is uh, War Brides it was it showed uh, it was shown today it's basically documenting um, the struggle uh, women had during World War II when they married American GIs and had to migrate back to the U.S. So they basically gave up everything they knew. They came from over 51 countries to a country that in some cases had defeated their country in war and became U.S. citizens and what it was like to try to integrate back into, into American society having come from all over the world. I like to tell stories that interest me, and, and I know that's a wide range of stories. Your, your bookshelves at home must be fascinating. Yes. I mean, that is, you, you know, because you're looking at three completely different stories there, and yet there are components in there that I can already see, you know, strings. You know, I can see connect points and stuff like that. So you're really, you're really a man that, 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 that when you find the story that is interesting to you, I get the feeling that you want to, you want to dive into that toolbox, find all the stuff, get it organized, and then show or build the thing that's going to transcend. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, I love telling stories that interest me. I really do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a that's a vast uh, that's that's a that's quite a diverse uh, uh, three-parter right there. Um, Rod, I really appreciate your time. I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know there's so many things going on at the festival. And, uh, you know, the only problem with this festival that I've had is at every turn, the decision I make to do or see this means that I'm going to miss this over here. It's just been a beautiful festival. If you, if you don't mind, one last thing. Talk to me about uh, International Black Film Festival Nashville, what that means to the community, what that means to you personally, et cetera. Uh, uh, International Black Film Festival, this is their 11th year, and what they do is they really try to uh, give all filmmakers a voice, and they try to be truly an international film festival uh, and give us all a chance to tell our stories. Uh, you wouldn't expect to see a film about World War II war brides at, at an International Black Film Festival, but they accept it, uh, and it was actually received quite well by the audience. I mean, the audiences are great. The, the people that run the International Black Film Festival, they are great. Uh, and it, this is this is one of my favorite uh, festivals to enter every year. Yeah, and it's I I, I have to say um, the selections have just been phenomenal. I mean, we've seen some stellar work this weekend. They they try to get a wide range of, of selections. They really do, and and I've never been disappointed with the uh, with the film festival ever. Yeah. Well, uh, I, again, thank you so much both for sharing your art and your work but also for sharing uh, these words with me right now. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it. That's the episode. And uh, we're back in the swing of things. Episode every week. We'll be putting them out every week. Look for them on Monday morning because, you know, Monday's the new week and you got to get going. And um, they're going to be shorter. I promise. They're going to stay in this kind of ballpark. Conversations with different creators. Uh, and, uh, you know what, here's the deal. First round of podcasts, we didn't really do a lot of this. So we're going to do this now. Please, 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 please help us out a little bit. Go on iTunes, go on SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcasts, rate us, review us, talk about us, tell us what you think you need to do. If you need to, uh, just get in touch with us directly, you can always find us at pancakeshouse.net and, uh, 
contact me and let me know what you want to hear. Let me know who you're wanting to hear from if you've got ideas of people to talk to. And uh, we'll just keep bringing these out and letting people listen to conversations about the creative process. Thanks a lot and see you next week.